0: Okay there, are saints, Exodus chapter 20. Boy, it seems like we've been saying that for like 10 weeks now, so, <laughs> Exodus chapter 20. Tonight, verse 17, let's bow our hearts. Father, we're so grateful that you have been bringing us through these, these words, this decalogue, the plumb line. We're so grateful that you've been step-by-step leading us down these many bus routes, teaching us, Lord, that it isn't the issue of going to the end of the line where you actually murder, you actually cause adultery, but it's being on that bus line where if the heart is off, Lord, we've been on that bus, even going in that direction, Lord, that we have sinned, we have Such a desperate, desperate need, Lord, of you as a Savior. Thank you, Lord, for these plumb lines. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us that these plumb lines don't condemn us. Uh, Lord, it just reveals. These words that you speak are not meant to condemn. It's meant to reveal just the flaws that are there. And yet these words don't fix the flaws, but it's your Spirit That you, Lord, and only in you is there forgiveness. And through you, Lord, you can create in us a new heart. A heart that doesn't go in the direction towards those end results of murder and adultery and theft. But, Father, that we go towards you. We go towards righteousness so continue, Lord, by your spirit to instruct us, teach us, knit us to your heart. Oh, Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. And all the saints of God said, amen. Amen. It's interesting that a lot of people simply say that this 10th commandment in Exodus 20, 17 is you shall not covet, and that's not the commandment. It just isn't. You have to understand that... um, what it does say is this, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You understand there. there's a difference. Just coveting, desiring something, wanting something isn't bad. But wanting your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. You understand it's not just don't desire something, don't, don't have a passion for something, um, we need to desire good works. We need to desire the Holy Spirit. We need to desire a, a changed heart so that we can come to him. And So it's not coveting, as we're going to look at it in the strictest sense, it doesn't stop with saying, do not covet, period, or exclamation point, but it's do not covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet something that belongs to your neighbor. Don't covet something that belongs to someone else. And as we've been noting here, this whole issue of the, the, the commandments, keep in mind that the, the question that this commandment should stimulate, I don't know if it's in your notes, if it is, then great. If it's not, you can write it in there. But the question that it should stimulate is, "What makes me rich?" That should be the question. What makes me rich? Now, if I had my, you know, if I'm not rich enough, if I had my neighbor's house. Whoa, that would make me rich. If I had my neighbor's car, that would make me. If I had my neighbor's um, wife, then I would have some kind of status. If I had um, his servants or his female servants, if I had that many employees, oh my goodness, wouldn't we be something? You understand that it's about coveting something that says, if I had that, I would become richer. If I had that, I would be better. If I had that, it would increase my status. And that's really what the commandment here is trying to teach us, that that you shall not covet something that isn't yours, that God hasn't provided you, thinking that if I only had that, I would be so much, not necessarily richer in the monetarily sense, you know, but richer in the peace sense, and richer in the comfortable sense, and richer in the status sense. So you can include that in that. And so we see here that. As um, Paul would write to the church in Corinth in chapter 10, verse 6, he says, Now, these things became our examples, talking about all the, the children of Israel going through the wilderness, to the intent that we should not lust after the things that they also lusted after. That word is the same word when Paul actually quotes the commandment, you shall not covet And so we realize, don't lust after the things that they coveted. They wanted things. They said, if I have this, it would make me richer. And so as we've seen so far, the commandments up to this point can be seen as the stuff at the end of the bus route, can be seen as the action. In other words, I haven't actually murdered anyone. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't done those things. I haven't stolen. I haven't, you know, lied against my my neighbor or told a lie to, to trap my neighbor or to um, trip trip up my neighbor. But this tenth one is unique. This tenth one is different. The tenth one is the the whole one that the, is the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's the one that no one escapes. This is the one that actually got to the Apostle Paul. Two passages that you should be aware of, and they're kind of side by side in how they look and how they act. And and it should be something that you look to as far as putting these two passages together. The first one found in Philippians 3, verse 5 and 6. I want to just simply read it to you because what, what, what Paul does is this. I want to start reading in verse 4 so you understand the context, but the key being verse 5 and 6. In Philippians 3, verse 4, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, A Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisee. In other words, really good. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law. He makes a statement, blameless. Pat a guy on the back. Now that's a resume that every single Christian wants to have. I mean, if I could have said, you know, I want to become, you know, the, the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Milwaukee. And if I were to say, you know, with the righteousness which is in the law, I'm blameless. They would have passed me up for somebody. <laughs> it would have just been the way it was because it's just, he said, that's how righteous he was. He didn't break. He didn't go to the end of those bus routes. He hadn't murdered anyone. He hadn't done that. He's just zealous, and that's where he was. But then God got a hold of him. And when God got a hold of him, what he does is this. In the book of Romans, chapter 7, verse 7, Paul comes and he now has a whole deeper, different understanding of the law and the righteousness in the law. He realizes that righteousness comes by faith, not by sight. Righteousness comes by What Jesus Christ has done, the righteousness that God demands, not by the things that we do. But he makes this statement in Romans 7, 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? He answers it, certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. See, Paul was good with all the commandments. He was good on the outward, not murdering, not stealing, not bearing false witness until it came to coveting. Now, coveting is the one thing that that we deal with in the heart. It's the one thing that isn't open to anyone else. In other words, if I went and I stole my neighbor's house, and I stole my neighbor's land, everyone would know. You can't hide that. You stole a guy's house. But if I coveted my neighbor's house, and I coveted his land, or I coveted the servants that worked for him, nobody would know. Nobody but me and God. And this is why this commandment here is so powerful, because it moves from an outward action into an area of the heart. So what we look at is this. This 10th commandment is the key to now how we need to look at all the other nine commandments. See, everyone was like, okay, well, it's outward, 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 Till you come to this, and then it's the inward. And when you come to that foundational issue, you have to go back to the beginning and say, are all these inward? And the answer is yes, every one of them is. And so when we look at these commandments as simply... Is it an external thing? Well, for the most part, if it's external, if I'm a kind person and a good person and a giving person and a gentle person, and and I, I don't yell at people and I don't swear and I'm kind and I'm good, I would think, hey, you know, do I really need a savior? I mean, I'm doing good. Look at all the things that I've checked off my list, like the rich young ruler, do these things and live. Until it comes to what? Well, you want your treasures in heaven or you want your treasures on earth? That's the dig. Because we all say, I want my treasures in heaven until we see that billboard with that fancy car. We see the billboard with, oh my goodness, or a, a thing comes up saying, you know, you really have to have this. This will complete you. And you go, oh, you're right, I do. And then all of a sudden we move from the the desiring the things of heaven to shifting to, I want this thing on earth. And my passions have switched. Now, even if I don't get it and I repent of it, guess what? I've already coveted it, already there. I've already blown the commandment. So whenever there's something that catches the eye, something that flames the passion, then we begin to see it where, if it's simply an outward behavior, do I really need a savior? But once I realize all these are inward heart issues, oh my goodness, I cry out for a savior. I need someone to redeem this sinful heart and and my desires. In the same way that Jesus taught us there in Matthew 5, where he said, you've heard it said, you know, don't don't murder. But I'm telling you, there's a whole different thing. If you're angry at your brother, if you call him fool or rocker or foolish, you know, you've already committed murder in your heart. You've heard it said not to commit adultery. I'm telling you, if you even lusted after a woman, Believe it or not, that term lust actually is the term for coveted. Mm -hmm. If you've coveted a woman, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So understand how powerful this term covet means, and it's about coveting something else that is not of, of, of the Lord. We've already made mention of it, but I would like to turn there, because in that passage, when we went through Matthew chapter 19, And we we looked at that area where it's called the rich young ruler. Beginning in verse 16 of Matthew 19, Now behold, one came to him and said, Good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to me, Why do you call me good? No one is good, that is, but God. And if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now I didn't say just keep the commandment, Period or keep some of them, but he says, keep the commandments, period, in their entirety. Keep them all. And so he said to them, he the, this, this young man said to Jesus, which ones? Well, there's 10. Can I do nine and be okay with it? So so him wanting now, to, in a sense, justify himself. So, so which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, You shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Then he says this, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So at this point, what he does is he says, okay, well, you you shouldn't murder the sixth commandment. You shouldn't commit adultery, the seventh commandment. You shouldn't steal the eighth commandment. You shouldn't bear false witness, the ninth commandment. And then he says this, honor your father and mother, the fifth commandment. All right, seven, eight, nine, five. What's missing? Well, when it deals with man, the 10th commandment. And so what's interesting is it's missing. So the, the young man said, all of these things I have kept from my youth, what still do I lack? He asked the question, is there anything missing? Now keep in mind that Jesus had told him, we've talked about this before in Matthew chapter 10, um, verse 21, he Jesus said, one thing you lack. So he said, well, what's the one thing that I lack? So Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, you want perfection, you want to go to heaven. In other words, your your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, if you want perfect. If you want to be perfect, sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. You want to be perfect, he's making the statement, become rich towards God. Lessen your hold of the things of the world and grab on to the things that are in heaven. So you want to be, listen, let go of what you have. Sell it, give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. When the earth doesn't have this hold on you, heaven will have a greater hold on you because that becomes your desire. That becomes your passion. And I think it's important that this is really what we're looking at when it comes to this area of coveting. Where is your treasure? What makes you rich? And is it the heaven that makes you rich? Is it your relationship with God that makes you rich? Is it his pleasure that makes you rich? And you know what? There are going to be a lot of things that are wrong when you realize, man, I have your pleasure, Lord. (laughs) Okay, I'm okay. That's the one thing that I need. And so we've been looking at all these commandments. Each one has been getting on a bus and going to the end of the route. And so if, if that's the case, we only need a Savior once we reach the end of the route, if they're only outward but we've noted like I'm on the bus and I've got off here and I've got off here and I'm not even close to the end of the route, but I've gotten off so many times. I've been on this bus so many times and I've been getting off this route. I so desperately need a savior. And this is the key, understanding that it's the the direction that you're going. The problem is, is with the 10th commandment, there's only one stop. There's just one stop. If you got on the bus and you're like, I desire this thing in the world, that this would, oh man, this makes me rich. I, I want this. It would fulfill something in me. You get on that bus once and you failed. Isn't that incredible? To realize, this is why Paul was saying, man, I'm Pharisee of Pharisees, Hebrew of Hebrews, all these things concerning the law perfect, until I read this do not covet thing, And then I just blown it. I need grace. I can't do the righteousness in the law. And what happens is this. We often think that these areas of wrongs, intents and wrong actions are the issue, but they're not the main issue. See, there's symptoms of a bigger issue. The big issue that we all deal with is what? It's sin. It's the nature of sin, not the action of sin. It's not the little things. It's not the fruit on the tree. It's the root of the tree. And when we have this thing, sometimes we look and we we say, well, you know what? All my fruit is good. I don't have any symptoms of a sin nature. I'm kind, I'm good, I'm gentle, I'm giving, I'm all these things (laughs) And I've had a lot of people who said, you know what, I'm, I'm good. You know, and to be honest with them, I've looked at their life and they are better than most Christians. But they haven't received Christ, so they still have what? They still have the sin nature that needs to be. In other words, they think they don't have the disease. But as we learned last year and the year before, that you could be asymptomatic. You can have it, just not have any symptoms. And to be honest, that's us. That is the world. We all have a sin nature. We may not have the symptoms, but what happens is this, that this whole thing about coveting realizes that it's an internal thing and it may not come out as this action of stealing, the action of taking, but it is this internal, I'm on the bus and I'm desiring it. And even if I get off the bus, I've already been on the bus, I've already had it. And so when we look at this whole area of seeing this, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servant, nor his ox, his donkey, or any such thing that is your neighbor. This is the issue. So when it comes to this area of coveting, the reason that we have that tendency of simply saying, do not covet, is because so often in the New Testament that's how it stops. Remember what Paul said here in Romans chapter seven, the whole area that we looked at, when he says, What shall we say then? Is a the law sin? Certainly not Romans seven seven. On the contrary, I would not have known sin through the law, for I would not have known covetousness and said the unless the law had said, You shall not covet. And so we stop at that. We say, but it's not just you shall not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your your neighbor's um, servants. Now, it's interesting, and I want to take you into a little bit of the language. I don't do that too often, but I want to do it for this one word, covet. The the, the word in the Greek is is a a two-part word. It's called epithumeo. Now, epi, um, or the root word "thumos" um, would be the word "epi" means to be upon. If, if you're familiar with um, where John the Baptist, I saw that the Spirit of God descending and lighting upon him. That's that word "epithemeio." He came upon. Jesus says, "Whoever builds his house upon." Whoever hears my words is like a man who builds his house upon a rock to set upon. And it's, it's the one that we all know so well, dealing with the Holy Spirit, Acts 1 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, epithumeo. Now, the next term, epi, means upon thumeo, or the, the root word thumos is where we get our word thermos, thermometer, heat. And, and what really the word thermos means, or thermos means is a passion. In other words, you know when, when someone has a passion, they're like, oh, they're hot for this? It, you're, you're, it's like it, it consumes you. There's, there's this heart passion. It's a burning passion is really what it means. And so this term thumos means it's this burning passion. In other words, that passion in Revelation 619, where Babylon was remembered before God to give up the cup of the wine of the fierceness thumos of his wrath. Do you understand that it's this, it's this burning passion? And God had a burning passion to destroy Babylon in Revelation. And then, of course, we we, we see it's just setting your passions upon something. In other words, it's to covet. And that's why we see that passion where where Jesus says in in Matthew 5, 28, whoever looks at the woman to lust after her, epithumeo. And and so it, it means basically to covet. Now understand that the foundation of the term covet is actually found in the very first sin. In the Hebrew, when we look at this area as far as you shall not covet, uniquely where it says you shall not covet your your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. The very first time, if you look in the Strong's, the term covet is used is there in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. However, we've talked about this before. There's the Englishman's concordance. If you look in that, the first time it's used is actually found in in Genesis. I want to give you the second time that it's used. It's found this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate of it. Because what happens is this term, when it says desired to make one wise, the word in the Hebrew is called "kamad." It, it's a term that simply means that um, you you are are desiring something. You have a passion for something. We know a little bit more of what it means because Paul quoted it in the Greek, which means to have this to have a burning passion mm-hmm. upon something. To set your burning passion towards something. And as we see here, that. This tree was desirous to make one wise. In other words, God's holding you back. You deserve this. You've earned this. You should have this. And so we see that the the, the basis of the lies that Satan began to give towards Eve was this. Are you discontent? You should have something more. And this is what it all boils down to. When you have that area of thinking, I should have something more than what I have, you're not content with what God has given you. You're thinking, God, you've missed this. I'm better than this. I should have this instead. Rather than being grateful for whatever God gives you. There's another passage in Philippians chapter four. I want to start reading in verse 10. I want to read from verses 10 to 13. But Paul says this, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state that I am in to be content. Now he's not talking about the state of Wisconsin. I'm content in Wisconsin. He's not thinking, oh my goodness, I gotta go to Florida. That's not what he's saying, but the the state of life. He says in verse 12, I know how to be abased, that I have nothing, I know how to abound, I know how to have something, Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. He's my provider. And so we see here with this area of coveting that it is there throughout the scriptures. One of the first times we see it, Adam and Eve... Eve is coveting the fruit. Now that Satan has said, Wow, you could be wise with this fruit. I want this fruit. When we get to the book of Joshua, and we find ourselves there in chapter 7, verse 21, Achan. He he covets those things that he sees when he enters into Jericho. And there's that silver and there's those garments and, and he wants the, the items and he covets those. Those are all God's. God says the Jericho's all mine. I get the first fruits. Everything else you guys will get. But he couldn't wait. He had a desire. If I have this, it's gonna make me rich. And amazingly, it didn't. He buried it in the sand. It didn't, he wasn't rich, it was buried. He wasn't using anything. But it was the what? It was the thought that it might make me rich. It's the thought that down the road this is gonna benefit me. And I think it's important that we see this over and over. As we were looking at the area of bearing false witness, we actually looked at that passage in 2 Kings 21 where um, King Ahab, you know, he, he coveted Naboth's vineyard. So much so that when he said, I'll give you a better one and I'll pay you money for it. And they no, it's mine. I don't I'm not gonna give you my inheritance. And, and what Ahab did, is he went home and laid in bed, turned his face to the wall and just pouted. Wouldn't eat, wouldn't do anything. Tells his wife, comes. what are you pouting for? I want the vineyard. You won't give it to me. And it's amazing that we look at this thing, and I think it's so important. Where it's it's the things of the world. I want more. I want more. I want what I don't have. The things that I have are not enough. There's a passage I want to take you to. It found in Luke chapter 12. And in Luke chapter 12, it, it's a it's an amazing area as far as just really coming to grips with what is the heart of God. It begins this in verse 13, and I'm going to read all the way down to verse 21. Now, verse 13, one from the crowd said in teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I should have something too. In other words, we we've talked about it before when we looked at the, you know, the prodigal son, that he went to his father and said, Divide to me the inheritance. Why? Because if it goes to the older brother, then the inheritance the younger brother gets is due to the benevolence of the older brother. And older brothers were not known for their benevolence. So they would get nothing. But here he says, I want you to tell my brother, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So he said, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And I find it interesting that as he goes through this, he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. I want you to watch out for this heart that comes. For one's life does not consist of the abundance of the things he possesses. In other words, your richness doesn't come through what you have materially. Your riches comes with the depths of relationships. And it's interesting that it's usually the things that people realize, but they realize it too late. Through life, they're pursuing you know property and houses and stuff and stuff and then on their deathbed what do they want like buy me one more house <laughs> buy me a better car cuz i'm about to die no they said where are my kids i want my kids around me i don't want stuff i want i want family i want relationships i want to have an opportunity to make amends i want peace inside and it's interesting as we go through this Here, and I love how the Lord does this, in verse 15, sets the whole foundation for what happens here in Luke 12. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of the things he possesses. And then he speaks a parable to them, and he says this. A ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully... So in other words, he had a bumper crop. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? In other words, that the crops that he had needed for himself and the crops that he would need to plant next year, he's done that over and over and over again because he has these storage containers. But now he has abundance. Well, What do I do with all the excess? It's like, well, I have enough for me. Let me give the excess to the poor. That wasn't his thought. I have enough for me. Let, let, Let me help others who maybe didn't get what I was able to have. But he doesn't say that. So he thought within himself, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? Of course, the thought wasn't give it to the poor. Verse 18, he says, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Oh, I've I've got retirement down now. I don't have to worry about any of it. I've got it all covered. And then he says this, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Cruise, I can now cruise. I've worked, I've got this bumper crop, it sets me up, now I'm just able to cruise. But verse 20, God said to him, now when God tells you, you gotta pay attention, but when God says fool, you really have to pay attention. And God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself, but is not rich towards God. Do you understand where your riches? Where's your heart? And I find it so interesting that what begins to happen is this, is there's this this coveting to say, I'm, I have sufficient for me, and now I need sufficient for me and a little bit more. And I have to store this up so I have even more for me and more for me and more ease. That I can truly eat, drink, and be merry. That there's there's nothing that can happen. I'm covered now. And God said, You're, you're a fool because what happens is this: eternity could be now. You don't know that. And it's important for you to get your, your, your mindset off of the desires of the world. What will it take for me to be comfortable to, God, what will it take for me to earn your pleasure? That's what I want. I want your pleasure in my life. That is everything for me. And yet there's always this coveting. And sometimes it's not a coveting of, of stuff. Sometimes it's a coveting of status. Now. Remember there in the book of Acts, chapter five, Ananias and Sapphira. Well, what they did is this, is they they sold a property, but they said, we only sold it for so much. So, and what they're saying is by, let me just give you some numbers as an example. They sold a property for $1,000 and they said, listen, we sold this property for $500 and we're giving everything Oh, we're like, we're like that, that widow who gives that mite, but we're giving the whole shebang. And they didn't. They kept back part of the proceeds for themselves, but they wanted and coveted a status. Do you understand? I, I want people to look at me like, look at what I'm doing. And it was a lie. But they didn't covet stuff. They had stuff. They were getting rid of stuff. They were giving it to the to the church. But they wanted a status to how much I'm doing. This is why when, when they come in and, and if you was it really for so much? Oh yeah, no, no, it wasn't. The Holy Spirit already said it wasn't. And so they simply would fall down dead. And I think it's important, and we come back to that area of, of are we content. Paul said, I've learned in whatever state that I am in to be content wherever God has me is a good place. As we recognize that it's in a good place, that, that, you know, Lord, wherever you have me today, it's for your pleasure and it's for your kingdom. Teach me what it is that I need to know in my heart that I don't worry about the things of the world. I'm not worried about the things, but I'm concerned about the kingdom. I'm concerned about, you know, if you bless me with an abundance Who do you want to have this? It's all your money anyways. I'm just simply a steward of it. How do you want it positioned? I don't need to hold on to it for me. And so when it comes down to this area of coveting, where are your riches? What are your greatest desires? And I find it wonderful that within this area of coveting, That when you say, God, it's your pleasure that I desire. It's your heart that I desire. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians 12, 31. It says, earnestly desire, the word is covet, the best gifts. Said, I want you to covet the gifts of God. I want you to have those things of God. But what happens is when it comes to these areas of the commandments, one of the things that we have to realize is that we have missed the mark over and over and over again. We have been on way too many buses. We have been going in the wrong direction. Yes, we may have not gone to the end of the route, but we've been on those buses more than once. And how do we get right with God? There's something that I wanted to share and I wanted to save this simply to the very end of the the, the 10 words of Decalogue, the 10 commandments. And it's about getting right. There was a point in David's life where he had sinned horribly. He had broken a lot of these commandments. He (laughs) committed adultery with Bathsheba. He murdered Uriah the Hittite. He wasn't good. He lied about it, covered it up. And what's interesting was this, and he brought other people into his crimes as well. He stole, in a sense, from his mighty man. And it says this: when 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 David was finally repenting of it, when Nathan had come to him after his sin with Bathsheba, is actually found in Psalm fifty-one. David makes this statement, and he says this, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your ten mercies. Blot out my transgressions. How am I forgiven? And it says this, Blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. He says, I need you to cleanse me. I need you to wash me. I can't do this myself. It's important to realize that when we recognize I've blown it, come to God and ask for the cleansing. And we know, according to the New Testament, what we can be washed by the blood. The, 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 where sin abounds, grace abounds more, and, and the blood of Jesus Christ is able to cleanse a man from all unrighteousness. That's what we do. And in verse 3, it says, I acknowledged my transgression and my sin is always before me. And against you and you alone, if I sinned, I realize that God, you're the one you're the one that I have, I have failed to walk in a way that brings you pleasure. How do I fix this? How do I get this right? Well, I love the heart of it because what he does is this. In verse 10, he says, not only do I need you to cleanse me, but verse 10 of Psalm 51 makes this statement, create in me a clean heart. I need you to change me. Do you understand? He didn't say, you know, my heart's good. He said, no, 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 no. Create in me, honestly, a clean heart. You have to be the one to change me. And and it's about really recognizing, God, that in you is my greatest pleasure. In you is my greatest treasure. Your pleasure is my greatest desire. And and that's what, when your life is that, just saying, God, it's, it's you, it's your pleasure, it's your heart, it's me drawing near to you. And, and honestly, what is God's greatest pleasure? That we draw near to him. And it's just intimacy. He wants intimacy with us. And he knows that what sin gets in the way of that intimacy causes us to back away from that intimacy. And, and all of that lies in what? Well, it's when we become discontented in God. And we become discontented in what he has to offer because we listen to the lies of the enemy and say, you should really have this too, or you should, you should be able to do that. And, and it's really saying, God, you know what? I am so grateful for what you have given. I'm so grateful for what you have provided. And, and, and I, I learn and I'm trusting in, in what you have provided is sufficient for me. And I'm a steward of all that is yours. And then last thing we begin to see this. We've already quoted this passage a couple of times where in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, he says, earnestly desire, covet the best gifts. Then he says this, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Love. With all the commandments that we can do, the key is what? Love. Loving God and loving people. It boils down to those things. We've quoted this passage before we started. I gave you this passage at the very end of Exodus 19. I told you to put in your notes. Go through it. Go to Romans 13, beginning in verse 8. No, no one, anything except to love one another. For you loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment. All are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I love the heart of this because when you can say, wow, I love my neighbor. And you know what? I'm so blessed that God has given him everything that he has. I love my neighbor. I'm so blessed that God has given her everything that she has. God is trying to show my neighbor how much he loves them. And, and you know what? I am pleased with that. God blessed them. And, and I find it interesting that what we're not wanting is God to bless them. God judge them, deal with them, you know, fix them. And, and yet God blessed them. Let them see that it's in your goodness that leads man to repentance. And so when we temper everything with love and then we begin to see here that this is really where the heart of this commandment is. Where and what are your riches? Are your riches the things that are here in the world? Are your riches the things that that, that say, yeah, this will benefit me today or this will benefit me tomorrow? And I'll be honest with you, I only want the pleasure of God today. And then I want to wake up tomorrow and I want to do something amazing. I want to seek the pleasure of God today. And I want to wake up the next day and I want to do something amazing. I want to seek the pleasure of God today. And it's going to be whatever his spirit leads, whatever his heart wants. And sometimes his, his heart is going to be, just, just hang out with me today. You don't have to do this, you don't have to do that, you don't have to do all of this, you just have to hang out with me today. And and I'll I'll be honest with you, when you do God's will and it's just find that intimacy and the pleasure with him, that all these other things that that you're pursuing are no longer the things that make for your pleasure. Don't get me wrong. I love being a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love, it. I love being a pastor. For the longest time, it was weird because I was it was awkward having people call me pastor. It just, my name's Lowell, call me Lowell. But hmm. pastor is what it turned out to be. There are some who still call me Lowell. Others, they simply call me pastor and it's fine. But my name is Lowell. And I, I, I love it, but what was interesting is this. You guys all know that, that last year, around this time, I was walking backwards and I broke my ankle and, and shredded the tendon and it took until June, July before they figured out and had a surgery. And then I was stuck. I was stuck in a bed. I was stuck simply in a bed with, with a leg elevated and I needed to stay that way and, and to continue to just let it heal and do, do nothing. Had other people fill in teaching studies and, and that was it. I had the church calling me, how are you doing? I had people from the church coming over, can I, you know, how are you doing? And, and it, was, it was weird, it was weird, because I did nothing. I did nothing on a spiritual level other than, than sit there with God and pray and read and, and seek his heart and, and kind of feel sorry for myself because I wasn't doing the things that I thought. And, and God over and over, and this was huge for me, kept telling me how much he loved me. And this is this constant word over and over. I was doing nothing. And yet he wanted to say, this is how much I, I love you so much. I love you so much. I'm so pleased with you. I'm so proud of you. And I was doing nothing. And, it, and to be honest with you, it kind of transformed a whole mindset to what, what it is that I do in the ministry these things that I do aren't the important things. It's just that God loves me. And if he allows me to do anything, I wanna do it. But but my pleasure isn't me teaching. It is, but it's not. That's not my greatest pleasure. My pleasure is, God, you just love me. And and you you have this heart for me that even if I do nothing for weeks and weeks and weeks, you love me. And, And it's incredible. Now, other people, they, they may see me as something different. They may see me as, well, you know, I don't know if God can love you. Look at the way you are. The weird thing is this. I have to tell you this story. I got some time, so I'm gonna just give you a, a off the, jump off a tandem. I don't normally do this, but I was laid up for Father's Day, my, my wife had gotten me this this gravity chair. It's something that goes outside and it tips up so you can actually have your foot up. So I thought maybe I can get out of bed, I can go out with some sun and, and enjoy. And so she was out there and she was gonna have to mow the lawn and she was gonna have to you know weed the things and I'm just sitting there on this gravity chair. And she'd set me up, she put me in the gravity chair and the sun was out, so I'm enjoying it. Took off my, the big old boot that I used to walk with, put the crutches down on the, on the ground. And she brought my pillow, had it elevated. And she got me some lemonade. And I'm sitting there outside in the backyard with, in the gravity chair with my foot up on a pillow that she brought, sipping lemonade. And my wife is there mowing the lawn and a new neighbor pulls up. <laughs> and she stops and talks to the neighbor. And, then I can, and in my head, I'm like, here's my wife mowing the lawnmower. I'm just sitting there with, and literally, I'm just barefooted now. I, I have no shoes on. I have no boot on. They don't see anything. And she's meeting this new neighbor, and they're seeing me lay in this gravity chair in the backyard, <laughs> sipping a lemonade. And, and you know what? I don't know what the neighbor thought of me, but God told me he loved me. He said, I I love you so much. It was was difficult. (laughs) I could not wait to get back to mowing my lawn, doing, you know, my son-in-law was doing the snow removal, all these crazy things. But God said he loved me. People were doing the studies and God said he loved me. And, And you know what? That is the key. That was my rich, the richness. That was the richness that I wanted. I needed nothing else. I had nothing else, but I had God declaring he loved me. And that was my pleasure. That was his pleasure. Do nothing and just know that I love you and receive that and believe that. And that's all I did. I just simply believed that he loved me and he was pleased. I know he was pleased. I was doing what he called me to do. And, and and if you can take that and, and realize, don't covet all these other things. Don't think you gotta do this for pleasure and that for pleasure. Or you know, understand, God alone and, and you connecting with Him is is it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and then just love people. Don't worry about neighbors, what neighbors think when you know when your wife is mowing your lawn. Don't worry about that. Just let God tell you that he loves you. And, and no matter what you're doing with him, it doesn't have to be spectacular. It just has to be what his pleasure is for you and walk in that. So with that, we end the 10 words of God. We end the Decalogue. We end this thing and we're actually going to move on Um, next week we're still in chapter 20 though. So we're, 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 we're still not out of the chapter. but it's taken us 10 weeks to get through the first 17 verses and we'll go a little faster. I promise you after this, we'll go a little bit faster. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we are truly, truly grateful above all things, above all things. We are grateful that you have declared your love for us. You so loved us the world that you gave your son, you loved. While we were yet sinners, Jesus, you would do the work to make us righteous. It wasn't anything that we had to do. Help us, Lord, to stand firm on the reality of your love for us. And it isn't about accomplishing things. It isn't about making a status with the world. And it isn't about making a status with the church. It isn't about making a status with the saints of heaven. There is no status. We are all sinful. We are all wretched. And we have been saved, saved, saved by our precious Savior's blood. And so we're children. And that's it. Just by faith, believing in your word, Jesus, it has been accounted to us for righteousness. There is no status to seek. The only status we want is, Jesus, that your name is elevated, that you are worshiped, that you are glorified. That's what we covet. We want the best. We want your name exalted. We want your glory resonating from our lives and our hearts and our mouths. Do the work in and through us, we ask in Jesus' name. And all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen. Amen.